said, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, I tell you, I'm going to go ahead and read it all then. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And now where I'll give attention, verse 11 and following. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inherit estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. <coughs> he longed to fill the his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never... Give me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There's perhaps no passage in the Bible that shows God as the perfect father than, than this parable. I know this is very familiar to all of you. You've probably heard more sermons on this passage perhaps than any other passage in the Bible. I was told in uh, American church history back in seminary that often, especially the Methodist circuit riders, when they would go out west in frontier days of America and preach, that if the circuit rider didn't show up, one of the persons who was there typically could give the sermon. 
he could give the sermon because it was usually on the prodigal son, and they had heard it so many times that one of the laymen then would preach uh, in the uh, absence of the pastor. <coughs> I have a friend in ministry named Mickey, and he was called to the home one night in the middle of the night of an abusive, drunken neighbor, and this man had been on a, <coughs> a drunken spree and had a, abused his family. And finally, uh, they called Mickey, and, and he got permission to go over there, or he, they asked him to come over. Once he got there and the man had settled down, began to sober up after he'd been there quite a while, he asked if he could have the man's permission to read some scripture. And, and the man said, oh, sure, that, that would be fine. And he was sitting there, and Mickey got no further than the opening of verse 11. There was a man who had two sons, and the man said, no, no, preacher, Read anything from the Bible, but don't read that. This fellow, Mickey, came to find out himself had been a prodigal who had a godly father who had died heartbroken over his son's condition. This parable has been called the pearl in the crown of all the parables. Even an unbeliever has written, this is the greatest short story that has ever been written. If you give children pencil and paper or crayons and paper, and ask them to draw this story, they'll typically do it in four scenes. They'll draw the young man leaving home. They'll draw the young man in the far country. Then they'll draw the return to the father. And if they're really astute, they'll draw the older brother's reaction. So let's look at those scenes. The first, the scene to leave home. It's a parable of grace, and what we see here in this this young man is rebellious alienation. He's living at home, but he's hating every moment of it. And he's counting the minutes until he can be gone. And so James Boyce says this, this young man is a picture of sin. And if you've been a parent, then you probably know the heartache from children and rebellion. And the far-off country does not need to be many miles away. It can be behind a bedroom door. It can be behind the, the, the headphones to the iPod. Uh, it can be in the automobile. Someone told me recently, they said, you know, I've only got my children until they're 18. I said, <clears throat> 16, <laughs> not 18. It's when they get the driver's license. Uh, the far-off country need not be far off today. You know, I don't know if y'all ever read the old columns or used to read them, Dear Abby, and there was an advice column told of a man who drove past his parents' house every day to work, but he had not spoken to them for years. Now, so we see this, this young man as a picture of a sinner in rebellion against God. It's like what Isaiah says, we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so the son makes a demand of his father in verse 12. He says, give me my share of the estate that falls to me. I've read this was a shocking and even an immoral demand. The division of property was usually done after the death of a father, not before. He's ultimately saying, as far as I'm concerned, I wish you were dead. Give me what will come to me when you are dead. Can you see yourself at all in this young man? Um, with his attitude toward his father and toward his home. And what we see here is alienation toward God. He wants to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And he doesn't want anybody looking over his shoulder telling him what to do. Now here's some observations about the young man. His desire to leave is out of rebellion to his father. He wanted to be independent and free. 
of all restraint, of all external authority. He is completely self-absorbed, and he is intent on satisfying his own, own desires. And, and this is important, there is no indication here that this man, the father, is a bad father. There's no indication. You know one of the benefits of having several children as opposed to one? Because I can see that here in the same family, one has a heart for God and one doesn't. You know? And sometimes parents think, where do we go wrong? And, and we're, none of us are perfect, but you want to say, maybe you didn't, you didn't do anything wrong. There's no indication this father did anything wrong. Um, I'm not condemning anybody. I just had one child. Okay, I mean, you see my point, right? The father divides his wealth between them in verse 12, and the young man has his money. He's out of there. He's gone. Scene 2 begins in verse 13, the emptiness of the far country. It says he went on a journey into a distant country. Uh, this is much more than a young man's desire to see the world, you know, than George Bailey reading National Geographic wanting to get out of, uh, what was the name of that town? Bedford Falls, yeah. Pottersville later on, but yeah. The distant country is the world in which everything considered holy is disregarded. He is just there with no restraint. And from all indication, he has no, he has no inclination to return home. That's not his intention. From all indication, he left and that was it. He wasn't coming back. He wants to put as much distance as he can between himself and his family and his past. He wants to go where there's complete anonymity. You know what Proverbs says? He who separates himself seeks his own desire. If we just want to live for ourselves, one of the easiest, we think, is get away from anybody that knows you. No accountability. That's why I think you read such horror stories, tragic stories of people that are on the road all the time. Uh, that are always, because there's not accountability. I don't mean, well, it's sometimes with salespeople, but athletes and others where there's no one to hold them accountable and people don't know who they are, their past, their obligations. So this guy's separated himself from everybody who cares about him. I grew up in a, in a town of 40-something thousand, so there's somewhat of a small town atmosphere. And it was very common when I was in elementary school and junior high school that if any of us were up to foolish behavior, which was quite often, the other parents would say, does your daddy know about this? I remember an eighth grade teacher pulling me out in the hall one day in uh, my junior high school and saying, what would your mother think if she knew? I mean, we don't talk like that anymore, do we? And that's, that's sad, because sometimes the mother wouldn't know anything. But she, they were like, I'm going to tell your parents. I'm going to let them deal with you, okay? The son spends all his money, says he squandered it with loose living. The literal meaning of, of the word it uses is loose moral restraint, no moral restraint, sexual pleasures or vices. He abandons all restraint. It doesn't take long to go through a lot of money. <clears throat> a friend of mine had two daughters that, well, their father died and they had a trust fund each of them when they uh, turned certain age got 400000 each. And I saw him like two years after they'd gotten the money. I said, any of it left? He said, nope. He said, trips to Europe, uh, new cars. One of the sisters put a down payment on the house. He said, besides that, all the money's gone. It doesn't take long. And so this guy spent it all. 
Notice how far he's fallen. The Gentiles were the far-off country, uh, far-off ones cut off from the covenant community. And so he, he goes, he leaves his father, he goes to the far-off country. Now he's serving Gentiles. He's just going lower and lower and lower, looking after the pigs. Nothing could have been more disgusting for a Jew. They were considered unclean by the Old Testament law. Many people think sin is a joy. It looks, it looks so attractive, doesn't it? Uh, something that will give us freedom to do what we want to do, and then before you realize it, you're a slave. You're a slave to what you thought would set you free, and that's what happens to this young man. And it comes to that realization. He, he sees his plight. He had been deceived into believing that if he had his share of the inheritance and left his family, everything would be okay. Satan is a master deceiver. C.S. Lewis said Satan has never been able to manufacture a single pleasure for himself. All he can do is get the people of this world to misuse and distort and pervert the pleasures that God has given. If you think about money, there's nothing wrong with money but how we can serve it and distort it and what can serve good purposes can serve awful purposes. You think about how God has created sex for the marriage relationship and in that place, it's powerful and it's good, and yet Satan will distort it and end up with all sorts of problems. Not only is sin deceptive, the pleasures are very short-sighted. This guy comes to understand what Isaiah asks. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? So what had his search for independence gained this young man? Poverty? Famine, loneliness, desperation, resentment, and worry. Besides that, he was fine. <laughs> Many people don't realize where they are, but this uh, young man did realize the emptiness and the privileges he had forfeited. When I was young, a brand-new Christian, I heard of a newspaper article that told about an exchange student, I believe from Taiwan, that came to America to study and he did not, for some reason, he did not understand that his scholarship included uh, food. And so he, he was found to be, I think he checked himself into an infirmary on the campus of the university where he was, and they found that he had been in his dorm room eating nothing but cheese and crackers without the knowledge that his scholarship included three good meals a day in the cafeteria of the dorm. And so he was suffering because of ignorance. He just didn't know that what was waiting on him instead, I mean, was delicious dormitory food. <laughs> instead, he had crackers and cheese. The problem here is the prodigal was not in ignorance. He had willfully forfeited those things. And that's a hard thing.